Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait, was that not it? Hey, enter, just, you forgot to enter. Whoa, good morning, good afternoon, and good night. This is Connor Hallway, and this is the Golden Hours Podcast, and I'm going through a lot emotionally, behind the scenes, entrepreneurially, but this is show business, and you can't let him see you sweat, brother. So, Without further ado, guys, if you get any sort of value from this episode, whether you laugh, cry, you learn something, you're entertained, please just share it with a friend. You know, we grow the show organically. Subscribe, like, means a lot. We're growing the show, brother. And uh, on today's episode, I had Scott Rosenberg, who's from Needham, Massachusetts. He is a producer and writer of, most recently, a show called From Venom. The big Marvel movie, Jumanji, and he's kind of on the other side of having a great Hollywood run. I mean, his career is still booming, but he has a great perspective on growing your career in Hollywood over time. So, really enjoyed it, man. Um, he's, he's also a Martha's Vineyard guy, and he has the perspective of what it's like to come to L.A. from Massachusetts. So, all, all these things we could both relate to, and great dude, man. Hope you guys enjoy Zuvi 2 on the way. More info on the way. All love, brethren. Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait. Was that not it? Hey, enter. Just, you forgot to enter. All right. You got to give me a 3 two, one hike. Okay, we're caught in the simulation, in the snake pit. There's a lot going on guest to my right can attest he feels like he just walked into a forest fire and he's just trying to navigate his way around i promise you i assure you after these 50 minutes you'll have a great time i promise you and i'm not anderson cooper we don't ask any hard-hitting deep delving questions here but before i introduce my guests on the right who else is in the building we'll start with my left over here my man aaron thanks for being here andrew glad you could be here man Incredible filmmaker, man. 100%. Now, I think on this show, in terms of like getting guests from Boston in Hollywood, I think we've done a pretty good job. But I feel like every week I find out there's one new person who's some like behind the camera in some aspect from Boston. And so I'm pumped to have Scott Rosenberg here, man. Thank you for coming. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Now, can you just give a quick synopsis of who you are and what you do? I am a a screenwriter. Certainly, that was initially a screenwriter, and um, now I, you know, I produce. Um, you know how it, it was purely a screenwriter for many, many years, and then sort of got into television. And television is a writer; you kind of become a producer. Um, so I've done both, and I've been doing it, which is crazy. Um, it just somebody just pointed out to me almost 30 years, which is nuts, um, especially because people in my position, we're, we're, we're kind of no better than ballplayers, really. Time a dozen. No, not, no, 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 no. I'm saying, like, if you can, you get eight good years, you know? Traditionally, you get, like, eight good years, and... Um, the other day, I was like, holy fuck, I've been doing this for so long. I mean, I'm old, but uh, 
I also was like, not bad. I gave myself a little pat on the back because it's like, like, honestly, I think my first movie was made in, my first movie was made in 1995, but I joined the Writers Guild, which is a, like a better barometer of, um, I think in uh, 93 or 94, right? So how long, how, how many, I'm a writer, I'm not a 27. math guy. Yeah, 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 so which is crazy, which is crazy. Um, now, when you reflect, are you still in touch with some of the people you came up with in those initial years? Yeah, for sure. You know, it's it's a big it's it's it, it's it, the the business is so crazy. I mean, you know, a lot of the people that I started out with, they were really talented people. I you know, I always say people always say in our business, it's you know, it's about luck. It's who you know, and it's about luck. Are all are the sort of tropes that you always hear. And there was a great quote from, uh, I think it was Steven Soderbergh who said it, and he was like, luck equals talent plus perseverance. And I really believe that, because there were a lot of people when I was starting out that were super talented, but at a certain point they were just like, you know what, I can't, I get a, I can't, I've been trying for five years and my, you know, my girlfriend's pregnant or I, I, I'm just not making any money and I, I, gotta, I gotta bail, I gotta go back home and run the, you know, the family plumbing supply business or something and they, and they piece. Um, and then there's people that maybe had less talent but they're just constantly hustling and hustling and hustling and said, I'm not, I'm never giving up until I make it. And I think that... Um, Is that the common thread for most of your cohorts now? Like you guys just all had an initial seven or eight really hard years, but you just fucking thugged it out? I don't know about seven or eight. It's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's different from it for, every, for everybody, but I think that... Um, I think... It's funny. The ones that... I think most of the people that have made it, whatever you consider, you know, making it, were the people that, um, and I've always said this, and it's like it sounds so pretentious, but I think it's true, is that it's a calling. It's not nobody. Nobody. If you come here to make money, if you say like I'm going to go to Hollywood to make money, well, you're a fucking idiot because it's the hardest. You have a better chance of just playing a lottery ticket than you know selling a screenplay. You go because this is what you want to do. You want to tell stories using a visual medium. That's why you're here. That's what drives you. And then if you can figure out a way to get them to pay you for it, well, that's, that's, that's the gravy. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But, um, and I think you, you see a lot of that, certainly now, I, I've noticed in the, in the last 10 years, because of the internet and because of the, just our whole society's, uh, obsession with instant gratification or preoccupation with instant gratification and people like reading on the internet about the kid who was like 25 years old and came here and sold a script for $2 million. And it was his first screenplay and blah, 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 blah. But those are, those are, those are rare. Anomalies. Mm -hmm. Um, that's not, that's not the way it works. Uh, traditionally it's hustle. If you were to like talk to your 30 year old self or how I'm trying to do the math, you probably came here what, 31, 32? No, no, no. I came here, I came here at 22. Actually, I had seen that. You chased a, a girl out here, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I chased a girl. That was From BU? No, she, well, she was from my hometown, but, um, but I'd always liked her and I, my, she was my high school crush and it kept through college. I was never interested in any of the girls because I always loved her, even though we were different colleges. And then, I was a writer. I was always a writer, but I was like, I'm going to write novels and move to Europe and, you know, live in Amsterdam and smoke hash and write books. 
And then I found out that she was coming out here um, just in the way that people from Boston, certainly back in the day, were obsessed with California. Even if you had no interest in show business, it was just, you know, you live there in, in February and then you see, it's always like the Rose Bowl game, right? When it's like you're, you're, you're mucking through the dirty snow and you see Pasadena in January and it's, you know, January 1st or whatever and it's, it's bright, sunny and beautiful and you're like, fuck, I wanna, that's where we should go. I couldn't right. believe that I had been suffering through winters for that long until I came out here. I was like, wow, there's like really another way of life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, eventually you go the other way, and like now I'm, I'm so like I prefer. You crave seasons. I go to yeah. I mean, we. I have a, a, I live in the East Coast as well, and I'm, people are always like, "Why are you going there now?" And I was like, "You know, it's February." And I was like, "No, because that's and it's good writing weather too." But anyway, yeah, I followed her out here, and uh, and and you know, as, as I've always said, is if if you're a writer and you find yourself in Los Angeles, eventually you learn about this thing called the screenplay, which you always knew intellectually like somebody has to write the movies but you never like I never really actually thought about it like wait is this could this be a path um so so yeah I just I just came out here and and started doing things you know which was a lot of shitty jobs um what specifically well, you know, the, what was the worst? The the the, the worst. It wasn't even more, so much about the worst. It was about in the beginning. You your initial impulse is I got to get a job in the business, because even though I want to be a writer, I got to get a job in the business because I want it, to. It's more for the folks back home, right? It's more like, hey, guess what? I got out here on this stupid lark, this stupid. Um, uh, fantasy that I have of making it in Hollywood and you get to say, hey, guess what? I got a job. So I got a job. I had a nope. I, I got a job through some, I don't even remember how I got it, for Dick Clark, Dick Clark Productions. And it was, it was a terrible job. It was, it was 18 hours a day. They paid you like 50 bucks a day. Again, this was in 86. Um, driving around my, this shitty car that I had you, I was just a, a runner, is what they called a runner. So like they're making a show, so you have to bring the flowers to the guest star that week, and you're driving around, and like you were lucky to have that job, but when push comes to shove, you were making about a dollar an hour, you know? But it was more, and it, they were really long hours, and I, I, I went through a series of those um, kind of jobs that were like tangential to the business, but you're exhausted. And then all of a sudden I had this, and I couldn't write. I was, I want to be a writer, but I was so tired. Um, and then I had this, a bit of an epiphany and it was just like, I don't, this is, I don't need to do this. This is not going to help me. What I need to do is just work some shit job that had nothing to do with nothing. But then the minute I clock out, I'm not thinking about it anymore. You're absorbing, so I can, you're so creative. I can, so yeah. I can write, so mm -hmm. I can write. So that's what I did. I was, I, you know, I was a bartender. I was a sale. I, I sold these cookbooks. Um, <laughs> I just did a lot of shitty, shitty jobs. I drove a satellite truck all over the country. Um, like you were a door-to-door -door salesman for cookbooks? It was this thing called Gourmet's Choice. Man, I haven't <laughs> thought about this in so long. We wore, we wore chef's jackets and the toques, right, and the chef's hats, and we would go door-to-door -to, -door to businesses 
and it was this book and it was full of menus of all the participating restaurants and there was this card and if you put the card down at the end of your meal you would get 10 to 15 percent off your total check for your whole party i can't believe i can remember the wrap liquor included for these participating restaurants it was a way that the restaurants would drive up so we would walk into we would walk into a, 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 an office with the hat on with the hat on and thing <laughs> And this was this was the this was the this was the scam. You, you were just going, hi, um, um, you ordered the, cause to the you never made it past the, the receptionist. You ordered the the uh, lobster Newborg for four. I have here, and like, what are you talking about? And I was like, third wheel third wheel uh, productions, right? Yeah, this is third wheel. Yeah, yeah, lobster Newborg for four. No, we didn't. There must be some mistake. I'm actually kidding. I'm here to do a. A restaurant promotion, and then you just would go into You're your probably like scumbag. You'd go into your spiel, and it was like <laughs> the book cost them $35, and we would get, I think, nine bucks on a sale. Commission, yeah. And if you sold seven books, then you would get the eighth book. You would get the whole, the whole thing. But it was, I mean, I did it probably like four or five months. It really did prepare me for a life in Hollywood because you were just, you were constantly, constantly trying to convince people to want something that they necessarily didn't want, which is a very apt metaphor for being a screenwriter. I was going to say, it's probably like one of the most important skills is a sales ability out here, right? Yeah, and it's a real bummer about it, too. About um, I've always said it's a real bummer. There are some brilliant, beautiful writers who are, I mean, they're like low-functioning nerds, right? And they're not comfortable in, in a room. And... And it's always crazy, especially in you know in television when you're. But I guess in movies too, if you're pitching, so you go in a room like this and you're like going to start pitching, and like you know, seventy-five percent of writers is a reason why they're writers, right? They're not really. They don't want to talk to you. They're not really comfortable, you know, trying to do the whole dog and pony, um, and then they wind up making the executives nervous, and the executives are like, I don't know. Oh, it's a great story, but like, I don't know if I want to work with that guy because he's he was sweating like crazy, and he was, you know. Um, but it is important. It shouldn't be important, but it is important. It's not important if you write a spec and you, your agent sends out the spec and people get to read it, and then they're just like, oh, this this writing is amazing. But particularly in television, you 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 would you would have to go you'd have to go pitch. You know, you're pitching the show, you're pitching the season, you're pitching everything, and they just you have to. You have to walk that fine line when you walk into a room, or just, I mean, and it's a bummer because, you know, not everybody has it, but you have to walk that fine line between arrogance and confidence. They really want to know that, you know, that you've got some swag, which is so stupid because it has nothing to do with nothing, but it makes them feel comfortable, you know, that, okay, we're, we're, because we're not just buying his writing, we're just buying, him and 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 his potential ability to run a show or to work with actors or to but people also want to work with people they like well for sure for sure yeah so did you develop that the swag out here or do you feel like you were always naturally confident i was always naturally confident um stupidly i mean it all came from you know uh i always say that a tremendous the lion's share of our confidence comes from our, our moms. parental love, exactly. Mm -hmm. And that, that was what, you know, I've always said, like my mother, I, the Jewish mother who, you know, I broke a window. I broke the neighbor's window with a rock and 
she, my mother would be like, look at that window he broke. Mm -hmm. He's the greatest window breaker in the world. What a gorgeous window. So, you know, you go, I, I come out of that. There was nothing. I, there was never anything. There was never a girl that I thought was, I couldn't, you know, oh my God, she's so beautiful and she's so smart and you have, you have no chance. You're a skinny little Jew with a big nose. But I always, always, you know, and, and, and that just sort of carried over to Hollywood, which is, I, I, I always had this notion that I was going to, quote, make it. You know what I mean? Even I just did a, a lot. And, and I, I don't think it was rational in hindsight. There, there were no indicators. There was no reason for me to believe this. But for some reason, I just always... And part of it, which is maybe a good thing too, is like there was no there was no fallback position for me. Like there was no oh if this doesn't work out, I'm gonna go to, you know, I'll go to law school or I'll go work for, um, uh, you know, some, some brokerage firm or something. Like I sucked at everything else. Like truly, I'm not I'm not trying to be self-deprecating. Like I was incapable of. There was nothing else. I. I, I I'm like, what would I do if I, I could if imagine I didn't? You could I know, you know, I, no, I, I really couldn't. I, 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 I could be the guy who gives out the towels at the resort. You know, that would be that would be cool. Pretty. Well, I would. You know, people want to. Why do people want to make money so they can? So they can travel. So why not just have your job be where you travel, um, where people travel? I don't know. But that was part of it. There was definitely part of it. The, part of the thing was, uh, they, and, and I think that's important. You know, I, I grew up with no money, and I grew up with no discernible talent aside from my ability to tell stories on a page. What did and when you're in do? that position, when you're in that position, you, the, the, the thing that I, I see a lot out here. I'm sorry. Now I'm just fucking lecturing, but the thing that I see out here a lot is is people come out here um, and they don't necessarily have that fire in their belly because they don't really need it. They, this is a thing, like, let's, I'm gonna go see if I can make it in Hollywood because my dad's loaded and if I can't, I can always, like, a lot of people come out here with the cushion, right? And, which makes sense because most people to go on, again, to do something like this, to, to make this, take this swing, you kind of have to have that cushion. Otherwise, like everybody else, they graduate college and they go to work immediately. Everybody here, they don't do that. They, 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 they graduate college, or if, assuming you even go to college. When you're ready, when, at 22 years old, you come to Los Angeles or you go to New York City to make it, and you're, you're, you're kind of, you, 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 how can you afford to do that? So, like I get these calls, you know, once every um, once every two months. You know, my mother met your mother at a wedding, and I'm trying to make it in Hollywood. And, and most of these kids, especially kids from Boston, they just they have they have wind behind them. You know what I mean? There's the, the parents are supporting them to come out here and to give it a shot, which is great. But I also think it removes a bit of that fire in their belly because they don't have to like I had no choice you know what I mean if I didn't make it I don't know what was going to happen again that doesn't mean I was guaranteed to but I was always always writing I was always 
always writing. Um, and, and, and you guys are all so young, but, but you know, th th they used to be these things, they were called typewriters. I'm sure you guys never heard, I've never seen Un one. Unfamiliar. Unfamiliar, I figured. Um, and we had this, uh, I had this electric typewriter, and it was, and, and, and I mean, I, I don't want to, I, I mean, I've, I think I've romanticized it so much, my early poverty days, but it was, I didn't have a desk, and so I would type with the type, with the electric typewriter on my lap, and it had generated a ton of heat. So I would have a towel in between, and like my roommates would come home, and I'd be sitting there like at two o'clock in the morning, like sweating, because <laughs> the fucking typewriter was so hot. But I was, and then the thing about, this was before computers again, this is, you know, I was doing it a long time, and with a screenplay, which is something that you always need to be rewriting. So when you have to rewrite a screenplay that you've typed, you have to start over from the beginning. It's not like, oh, let's go to page 32 on the laptop and just dilly it's like, oh. shit, oh man, I just came up with a great scene and it's gonna change the whole course of this movie and it's gonna make this movie great. Well, gotta start page one, da, da. But again- I never even thought of that. So you had to be calculated about your edits too. To my point, well you weren't though, but right, you just, you, you, you're kidding me. My point is, um, this is a very, I, I, if I recall the, the question was something about what would I say to the 23 year old version of me. And I, get, I literally went off on this tangent, but um, it's it's what I always it's what I always say to to the, these these kids who um, call me now. If you want to be a writer, you got to write, and don't think most importantly, most critically. And I've said this a million times on podcasts like this, and whenever I speaks to anybody about this is. I always ask them, they say, you know, I just finished my, I just read, finished a screenplay and I'd love for you to read it. It would be an honor if you would read it and, you know, guide me. And I say, I always say the same thing. I say, you know, out of respect for my mother and your mother who met at the wedding, I'm happy to, but let me ask you a question. Um, how many scripts have you written? And they're always like, well, this is the first one. And I'm always like, okay, um, I'll read it, but it's going to suck. I promise you it's going to suck because it's your first script and you're just learning Right now, you're just learning to, you're learning it. It's like anything else. Um, I think I wrote 14 scripts before I got an agent. And I think Things to Do in Denver, When You're Dead, which was my first movie that got made, was like my 16th script. And by the way, so many of those scripts were terrible. I, I go back and cannibalize little parts from them. You know, they had flashes of, 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 of decency, but they were, they were not good. Um, that was the other thing too, um, that I had a professor at BU and he, uh, we had office hours or something. And at one point he pulled open a, a, a filing cabinet and he said, these are, and it was packed. And he said, these are the first 20 pages of like 30 screenplays. And it put such a, uh, the fear of God in me when I saw that, like he'd, he'd only written 20 and then he stopped. And, 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 and in that moment I, I vowed that I would never start a screenplay without finishing it, even if it was going terribly, even if it was, even if it, the, the script I was writing, like the movie that was the exact same thing came out, you know, in the theater and I, I knew it was useless. I would always, um, I would always finish. And again, you, you, you learn so much from your mistakes, you know? And so, yeah, it was just fighting my way through those 
I always say like anybody can write the first 20 pages of a script, anybody. But it's, you know, it's page 70 that, you know, separates the men from the boys, right? It's a writer's discipline. It's just, it's really hard in the, the, the back half of that movie. Yeah, the, and just, just finish, just finish, you know? Now, when you reflect, do you think it was destiny that you got to this point? Are you big on manifestation at all? Like, wow, this, my life kind of seems like a movie, man. I really made it in this damn snake pit. Mm, no, I don't know about so much about destiny as... Um, There's been no forces or like weird, surreal situations you've been in. You're like, wow, like my life does kind of seem like a movie a little bit. I mean... You, anybody, I, I, I dare say, everyone feels like their life seems like a movie. You know, I mean, how many times, especially when when people find out what you do for a living. I mean, every, the guy, the cable guy who came over the other day because there was something wrong with the cable, and he was like, "Oh, you," he saw like whatever there was posters that we had to sign for something. Um, oh, what do you do? And I was like, oh, yeah, um, let me tell you something. You want to know a movie? The shit that goes on at the cable. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've mean, heard that I, shit a million I, times. You hear it all the time, right? Every plumber, every exterminator, every everybody. <laughs> you know. um, so every, I think everybody thinks their life is a movie. It's just sort of uh, because we all go through, I mean, the human experience is so uh, rife with, with tragedy and comedy and and love and loss so you know it, it it all feels like a movie i don't think i mine is any any uh any more um uh cinematic than others so after your however long your period of hustling was out here when did you start to feel like you actually had traction career-wise and what was it you were doing at the time to kind of gain the momentum i mean i i was i was i came out when it finally happened for me, it was it came out really strong as far as so I've been hustling for a long time, um, had had little little things happen. Sold the script here, got a job there, um, and then my father got sick with cancer and died, and I wanted to write about it, and so I wrote this movie, um, Things to Do in Denver When You're Dead, which and it was right when the Tarantino thing was starting to bubble up and it was about chatty gangsters. I mean, the whole thing was a metaphor for a terminal disease. It was, it was about these, these sort of past their, past their prime gangsters in Denver um, and they fuck up the job that they're supposed to fuck up. I mean, that they're supposed to do one last job. It's a typical thing. And they're all gonna, they're all gonna die. Like they're all gonna get killed. The, the boss is gonna, and so it was really, it worked as kind of a metaphor for having a terminal disease, which my father did. And it was just one of those scripts that, I don't know if it still happens, but back in those days, it was crazy. Like when a, a script, when a script, everybody was talking about it. Everybody was like, oh my God, this script, you gotta, you know. To the point where that's how it got made because. How did you feel at this time? You're like, you're hustling for five, six years. Yeah, it was, it was, excitement. It, yeah, it was, yeah, but it was still early. You didn't, I didn't know that it was going to go as well as it did. Um, and how it happened was um, all these actors, it was just got passed around and all these actors were like super into it. And Harvey Weinstein 
was taking all these meetings with actors. He would have general meetings with actors and they were all bringing up the script to him. So he literally called my agent and was like, what, who, who is Scott Rosenberg and what is this script? And then they, they read it, they wanted to make it. And we, and off of that script, I got called from Touchstone Pictures and they were like, we have this article about this plane that the government uses to transport prisoners um, from, from, from prison to prison and we want to make a movie out of it. Can you figure it out? And, but we don't want it to be that hard in a plane. So all of a sudden, so I was like, yeah, sure. And I, I went and I you know, flew around on the planes and I met all these guys. How old are you? I was, at this point, I was 30, uh, 32, maybe. And they were like, okay, we want you to write a, tr write a treatment for it. In those days, they made you write a treatment. Write a treatment for it and we'll make a decision. So I wrote a treatment and I was waiting for them to, so Denver was just starting to get um, some momentum. And I'm waiting for Disney to, for Touchstone to, uh, to get back to me about if they want, if they like Con Air. And, uh, and I was in Boston and I was, oh no, I was, I guess I was, I was younger then. I was probably 29. Um, and I was, and all my kid, all my friends growing up were the guys who, they were all snowplow guys, right? They were landscapers. And we were all like turning 30 and none of us could commit to the girls in our lives. And it was a really, really snowy. I was in my childhood home. My father had passed away like two years before, but we hadn't sold the house yet. And I was like, I want to, I want to write about this. I, I want to write about this. I'm, I'm, I'm so tired. Of, I feel like all I've been writing about are like guns and violence. And I want to write about this, what's going on right now with my buddies nearing 30 and not being able to deal with the women in their lives. And I said to my kid brother, he always talks, he always remembers it. He said, I said, I'm going, uh, I'm going into my room and I'm going to write a movie about guys and it's going to be called Beautiful Girls. And I went in there and I came out seven days later with that script. I gave it to the guy who was producing Denver who had always said to me, like, we, you, should, you should do like a diner kind of movie. And I said, well, just so happens. I did. The only thing I told him was, it's a movie about guys, it's called Beautiful Girls, and one of the guys has a St. Bernard called Elle McPherson. And he was like, I gotta read that. And then, gave, then we sent that out, and it, it was this huge bidding war for that movie, which is really a tiny movie. It sold for a shitload of money. And then, so there was, so all of a sudden I was in this place where Things to Do in Denver You're Dead, Beautiful Girls, and Con Air were all so completely different from each other. And at that point, I, because I think in large part, because they were all so different, like nobody could believe like the same guy had written these three different things. And at that point it was just like, I was, I was, I was good to go, you know? And that was like the golden, the golden, that was my golden hour. Um, it this was, is your goal. It now, was. Right? It was crazy. It was crazy. How did life change? Shorties loved you. Money, fast cars, uh, all the cliches. And by the way, it was. It was the '90s. 
so it was oh, a not very, the 90s. It was a very different time. It was <laughs> it was a very very different time. Um, you know, there were you just it was just everybody was having a good time, and there were no cell phones creeping in, and there was no internet, and you could just do what you want to do, and and you were. It was a super creative time, um, because because of all those things. I mean, I think in a large part, we're just living in a different. It, it's just a, it's a really different time now, and I think it was more. It, it, you didn't have the. I, I think about it now. I mean, I I know you know anybody. It's like you you, I'm you write. You're sitting down and you're writing, and you write for you know, for 10 minutes and then you check your phone. But I, I always say like the, 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 the thing that's so unfair is, is if, if, if the guys who work for the, for the, um, for the roads, you know, for the, who do the, who, who work, Pave, yeah. if they, if they, if on their shovel, if on the, if on the face of their shovel, they could access like the internet, they could they could look at porn and they could look they could read the New York Times and they could check social media. Not one fucking whole ditch would be dug. You know what I mean? So it, it's this crazy thing that you're sitting there and you're working and but like in, 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 with another few clicks you can be so easily distracted to a point where there's always that time where where and I think it's really helpful where you just have to go and say I'm not I'm not. Or go to a place where there's no internet, you know, or or just really, it, it's a whole different. Um, the level of discipline that is required now um, to really do your work, and, and you know what's funny too, is when I had to do when I had to research something back in the day. I know I sound like a fucking old man, but bemoaning the old days. But when I had to research something back in the day, you would I, I would have all this list of questions. And then I would go to the library, right? And you would you would wander through the stacks and, and pull out the book because I'm I'm researching Nazi Germany, and and you pull out the book in Nazi Germany, and then next to it you would see um, I, I don't know what this library is, but just for the sake of this comment, next to it you would see you know um, uh, how to make wedding cakes or across the aisle how to make wedding cakes, and then you pull that. Just because, wow, I didn't know how to, and then all of a sudden it occurs like, wait a minute, this would be so cool if the Nazi, his hobby was making wedding cakes. And so you would, you would have this, whereas now, you go to your computer, you, you, you Google Nazi Germany, and you're there, and there's no, and that you get what you need, and you walk away, and there's no, it, 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 it's it's you think there's a lack of imagination now it's just no it's just a, there's it's just so uh it's just such a straight line there's there's no room for you know for any kind of circuitous discovery which which was always and you're lazy so you just want to i just i need to know what i need to know i need to know how old uh joseph goebbels was when he you know met hitler and i find that in five seconds as opposed to in the old days, I'm like wandering through the library looking for the Joseph Goebbels birth date, and then I stumble upon, to continue the ridiculousness of my, of my, of my thesis, I stumble upon the wedding cake book. But there's a benefit to having access to information. Like I'm saying, of course, there's a benefit, but there's also a downside. That's my point. That's all I'm trying to make is the point. I get it. Do you ever feel overstimulated by your phone? <sighs> 
I, I overstimulated is, is not the right word. It's, I, I feel, um, it's, it's hardly stimulating. It's just, it's just, you just, it's there. It's always there. It's always present, you know? Um, and when I lost it or when I broke it, we've all broken them. And, and when you break it or lose your phone, there's that instant, oh my God, how am I going to survive? <laughs> and then you discover that in the two days or that until you get it back, there's a kind of this, this weird kind of peace and liberation. And I mean, I really miss that thing, but wow, this is so nice not to the noise. When you go down the veneer, do you shut it off? Or? Noise. No, I don't shut it off anywhere. Don't shut it off, man. So it's always on you. Wish I did. What do you think that's doing to the psyche of people my age and younger, growing up with phones as opposed to people? Who it's the it's the phones. It's the it's the listen. The phones is one thing. It's the social media, right? It's the it's. I mean, the texting and the and all that is. But the social, the social media, which is just predicated on you have, you are, you, your people, your age, because it's even people my age, we, you're in a constant state of FOMO, right? No matter what, no matter what, man, I was sitting in, I have this beautiful house in Martha's Vineyard, and I was this summer. And it's like COVID is over, over relatively speaking. And I was sitting in this beautiful house in Martha's Vineyard, overlooking the water, that I earned purely through my imagination. Right? Again, grew up on food stamps. Er, earned this purely through my imagination. And my kids, I have, I'm an old dad. I have young kids. They're running around this great lawn, and my wife is looking beautiful in her bikini. And I have all these friends coming to visit. Ocean beautiful drinking a very very cold Budweiser and I'm looking at my phone and I'm looking at Instagram and I'm like fuck why are I in why am I not in Spain right now the, all my those guys are in Spain and I should be in Spain and like that is a terrible terrible way to be and I think and by the way it's fine for me because I'm old and I'm settled and but I can only imagine and I've had unbelievable experiences and crazy life but if you're if you're like a 14 year old girl and all you're looking at not that they care about being in Spain but all they're looking at is you know what all their other friends are like the shit was is it was invented to make you feel bad about yourself no matter how wonderful your life is it just is. You never knew what other people. I, you guys probably don't even have never lived in an age where I had no. If I didn't, if I didn't like talk to somebody, I didn't know what they were doing. I didn't know where they were. You know. So are you not going like, to? I know where everybody is. I know where everybody is. I know where. I can tell you even people I don't know. Like I, I just, I just know where. I know where the fucking uh, what's his name barstool sports guy is. Like, I'll tell you where he is right now. He's in Iowa. Montauk. And George Clooney is in Venice. And, and, and my cousin Faith is, is, is on a boat in, uh, in Corpus Christi. And, like, who needs to know all that, <laughs> you know? And, by the way, all that sounds better than what I am sitting here with you guys. Yeah. So that's my point. In right? the freezing cold warehouse. <laughs> in this weird cold warehouse. 
But you know what I mean? So that's my point. Like, I, I do think it's, I do think, to be serious for a second, like, I do, I do think it is not going to have a good long-term effect, particularly on kids growing up in the shadow of, and even you guys, who, are, who are, you're young, but you're not, like, now it is. Like, my kids, so my kids are five and seven. I was going to say, what is your policy with them? With, I mean, they're not, I mean, they're, they're hyper. You can't keep it. They, they don't have a phone, but they they're, like they're so hyper-aware of just everything. And my, my seven-year-old can Google, you know, he can Google the shit out of anything, and they're YouTube and this and that, and, and, and you know, it's that weird. Like, my five-year-old is like, and I'm not the first to say this, uh, she, we, we do allow them to look at the iPad, you know, for uh, like a half an hour a day. And... And I came upon her the other day, and I'm like, "What? Do, what do you? I heard this noise. I'm like, what are you watching?" She was watching two girls play with Barbie dolls, and then literally, if you if you guys were if you were making this movie, you'd, you'd like, there'd be my face as the camera slowly dollies into the realization that my daughter is watching two girls play with Barbie dolls, and then the camera would pan slowly over to her pile of Barbie dolls her real pile of Barbie dolls sitting in a pile there that she's not playing with. She's watching these two girls on the internet playing with Barbie dolls. So you just, if you extrapolate that into, and make it, it just think about wider what it's doing to the culture. We're all just watching other people do fun stuff. And I don't know how that is helpful. That situation kind of sounds like the plot of the next Jordan Peele movie a little bit. Right. Now, how do you think that will affect film? Let's try to be an optimist, Scott. Oh, I'm, 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 uh, how it will affect film. I, listen, I think that's the, 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 the great thing about it is it makes, it, it, it feels suddenly, again, in my day, it was so, uh, it seems so impenetrable. Like there's no way you could, there's no way you could make it. There's no way you could. And now it just feels like, because everybody is sort of savvy and everybody is sort of aware of the camera and what the camera does. And I feel like it, I am optimistic about the generation to come as far as that goes. But the, it's, it's, the bigger concern is the stories that they choose to tell, you know? What was the Spider-Man? It wasn't, it was the one prior to the one that just came out. It was all about like being in a simulation. Everyone was on their phones. The one with Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was a really clever play on where society's at right now. Yeah. You saw that? Yeah, I did. I did. I don't remember it, but I did see it. I think I liked it. He's a big vineyard guy, too. Sure is. I work with him. Nice. Do you ever go to that farmer's market down the vineyard, West Hisbury? Of course. Yeah? Yeah. The alpaca farm comes in yeah. and they sell this stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Now, Luke and I, Luke helped me prepare for this. He's a big, beautiful girls fan because he's in his 30s and from Massachusetts, and he's newly in love. Now, we've had a few debates about being in love on the road to success and on the come up. Do you think it's a necessity, or do you think it's a distraction? Like, if you, you in your 30s, were you really falling in love with chicks out here, or were you like, no, I'm kind of just a bachelor? I was, no, I was with, I was with not my 30s, my 20s. I came out here 20, when I was 22. 22 to 29, I was with... These are my, the lean years. I was with my girl, the girl oh, that I chased. You, you chased a six pack? 
The girl that I chased out here. No, I'm saying lean years. You mean like physically lean? Uh, no, I mean I was physically lean, but that's what that, that was just because I was starving. Understood. Um, no, no. I'm saying my dues-paying years, um, living in the apartment with four other dudes, like that whole thing, and I had. I had Trish, and Trish had, like, she was a civilian. She had a proper job. She was making money. She could help to feed me, and she would provide me with love and support. And I wasn't, I wasn't um, interested in running around. And, A, I couldn't afford to. B, the girls out here, um, <laughs> to paraphrase Bruce Springsteen, it was something like, the girls are pretty, but they don't want to know your name. Um, that's what it's like. They don't give a fuck about you out here if you're not, if you're just some poor schlub eating lettuce sandwiches. Um, but so the, 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 the fact that I had this girl was, it was amazing. Um, and, and it was, she was nurturing and she was lovely and she was kind and she was sweet and she was supportive and she made me believe in myself. And the minute, the minute, the second I made it, I dumped her ass and went chasing actresses. <laughs> and I am not proud of that at all, but that was just, that was just how it, that was, it was terrible. I mean, in hindsight, again, I, although I, I can't say I would ever change it, you know, how am I going to change it? I was th 30 years old, all of a sudden I had more money and I had money that, that I couldn't imagine. And you're, you're working with all these people and these girls, you know, again, it was a different time. Um, and uh, yeah, so you... You, you act, you, 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 the man is never, uh, the man is never as big as the message he wishes to impart, you know? Like, I look back and it's kind of embarrassing and it was, I broke her heart. Um, but have you, have you spoken with her since? Yeah, of course, of course. But, but, you know, had we, had we got married, um, back then, we wouldn't have survived, you know? So... I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I, 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 I ran around way past my sell-by date. I, I, I was, I got married at 50. So I had some crazy 20s, some crazy 30s, and some crazy 40s. Um, but, which is great, but the downside is now I'm, I'm, I'm raising these kids until they put me in the ground. I think there's a benefit to that, though, too. As I said, my dad was, is, when he had me, he was 48. Yeah. And... I think you just you have a different perspective to give your kids. Than you, totally have a, you totally have a different. And perspective. you're sitting on money now. It's not like you have to be working right. as hard. Right. Right. And and also more importantly, if we had if we had you know gotten together and had children when I was 29 years old, I'm sure I would have been like, all right, I, I got to go figure out something to. I got to support these people. I, I, didn't have, I wouldn't have the luxury of like, I'm just going to be a bartender and write screenplays at night and hope that I make it. You know what I mean? So I think that that was part of it too. There was, there was, a, there was definitely a degree of ruthlessness of, 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 uh, of, of this, the only way I'm going to make it, the only way I'm going to survive is if I, uh, if I, if I, it's just me that I have to take care of, you know? You feel that way, Luke? So wait, you're in love or you're? Just, yeah. Let's not expose him. Oh, right. She's I, got a, I got a shorty right now, too. So does Andrew. Yeah, but you come out here and I definitely have the mindset of, like, well, 
Yeah, I mean, it's not like again, it's only you don't have to do that to make it. Like nobody, nobody, nobody gives a shit about your um, your personal life. What I meant was, it was just about you know being able to put money on the table, put food on the table. Rather, if I had a family, it was very different. Like I could, it's one thing for me to live in squalor while I'm trying to make it, but you know, I, could, I couldn't expect that of them. But yeah, it's not going to, it's, it's certainly not going to affect like, oh man, we can't, I mean, no disrespect, you're a good looking guy, but like, nobody's going to be like, oh my God, he's got a girlfriend. I can't hire him. Cause I want to, I want to take him out to, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't work like that anymore. See, I'm trying to be as simple as possible. Like I have the conversation with my friends all the time. It's like, if you have a girlfriend, you're not out chasing shorties. And so I guess you're less distracted, but you're not as much in savage mode if you have a girlfriend. You feel more comfortable. So I'm wondering, what's the better of the two? Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. I think it's, it's a, I, I don't know why it has to be um, binary like that. I think that you can still be a savage and have a girlfriend. Like, I don't, I don't think it, like, does it make... I do think it pulls from your power a little bit, Scott. Does, okay, all right, okay, ninja. <laughs> <laughs> ah! <laughs> um, yeah, I don't. I listen. The 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 it it's. I I feel like the it it, it again. It depends what you want to do, right? I was a writer. It's a very different thing. Um, so as a writer, it's the 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 what's critical is for there not to be distractions. So that wasn't with our. That was not the reason I was with her. I loved her, but the last thing I was doing was especially, especially when you're in your 20s and you're just starting out and you're a writer and you have to work, the only time you can write are, you have a day job. So the only time you can write are nights and weekends. So the last thing you want to be doing on the time that you're supposed to be focused on this thing is running around, you know, at the club, you know? So that just seems just a logical. How many me. times have you been in love? How many times have I been in love? Like, yeah. What a weird question for the for this. I'm Doctor Phil. For this weird for this, you're not going to get me to cry. Um, I've been in love. I would say one, two. Like love, love. I mean, I, I had I had crushes on girls that I thought was for sure love, and then in in in, in hindsight, um, turned out not to be so. Just infatuation. Um, but I I I always. I, I actually like to I like to shallowly believe that my infatuations were actually love. So if you but look at under that, the answer, I just want to preface this: we've had about five writers on here, yeah, and all of you guys are hot heartthrobs. Like it just drives the writing. It seems you guys like love to be in love. Well, there's yes, of course. I th again, I think that there's an inherent. Every great story has at some uh, at its some part of its core uh a romanticism even if it's not like a physical like or a love between a man and a woman or a man and a man or a woman, or a woman just a love just love um so i think that we're drawn as storytellers we're we're drawn to that because it's about people right we're it's about characters it's about people being together um and so i think that that I completely understand that. But I am going to, for the sake of this podcast, which might 
someday be viewed by my wife, I am going to say that I've only been in love once. Very political. Susan Rosenberg did not raise a stupid boy. How do you know if you're in love? What does it feel like? What did, uh, what did Charlie Brown say? It takes all the taste out of peanut butter. Unfamiliar. I've never heard that. Yeah. What is it? Just like, damn, this is amazing. Like, it's just, it, it's, it's, what is love? Have you been in love? I don't know. That's why I'm asking you. What's, long, what's your longest relationship? One year. One year? How old were you? Eight. But it felt real at the time. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I'm in a relationship right now. And so I'm just, I'm trying to dissect my brain. The girl that you met out here? Yes, but coincidentally, her family lives at Martha's Vineyard. Really? Mm-hmm. What's her name? The Negritown. I can't, come on, come on. Oh, I can't be blasting that I mean, out. You, 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 you dropped the dime on the Egertown part. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. It's always post-production. Right. Um, what was the question? How do you know when you're in love? How do you know? What does it feel like? I mean, I really think that you... Uh, I, I, I think that it's... <sighs> you just aside know. from the obvious... No, 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 no. It's, it's a, when, you receive, when, you, when you receive really, really good news... There's people that you want to call. When you receive really, really bad news, there's people you want to call. When you receive good news and bad news, when, when you want to call the same person upon receiving good news and bad news, there's a pretty good chance that you're in love. I like that. That was nice. Yeah. Actually, that simplifies it. So, Luke, are you in love, bro? We'll find out. Okay, awesome. <laughs> you gotta get some good news. Um, yeah, understood. Now, I think your perspective is interesting for us three because we've all been here for less than a year. You had said in a prior, some sort of written something. You're like, you want to keep all your friends if you're in the industry outside of the industry. You still believe in that? What I meant was, it can't. It's wildly insular. And believe me, I spent the, a good part of the, the, whatever we're calling it, my golden hour, um, just running around with people who, you know, it was actors and, and, and agents and producers and directors. And, and you just, you, 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 all of a sudden, you just found yourself in that constant, all you were talking about was Work. the business. And if you're a guy who wants to tell stories that connect with, that, that, that try and uh, uh, convey the human experience, just being submerged in this bubble is not necessarily the best way to do it. So I'm not saying you, can, you, you, you should not truck with anybody in this business. Of course not, I have great friends uh, out here. But I, I'm still in touch with all my buddies from Boston. I, I see them a lot. Um, I have a ton of friends in New York. I have a ton of friends just outside the show business kind of thing. And the older you get, even even more so, because most of the people, like I don't, I, I really don't hang around with. I hang around with so few people in the business now. When that used to be all I did entirely. And I think I'm better for it. Again, nothing 
against the, but it's just like, I'm a writer. I shouldn't really be obsessing over how, how much Jordan Peele's going to make that opening weekend. You know what I mean? That, I, I feel like in the, in the long run, that's, that's just not, that should not in any way like penetrate, you know, but, but I used to, believe me, I used to, I, I had a, a fervor for the, for the information and the trades. And then, you know, by the way, that's another thing too. You know, we were talking about the social media and just making you feel bad is a little of that too, is like, you could be killing it. Um, and then you read about somebody else who's, you know, just signed an overall deal with blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden there's that moment where you feel bad about yourself, you know, and you, you, you don't want to be, you want to be, what's it's a famous quote from Balzac, if you, if you uh, will forgive me my pretension, about how it's not our own success we want as much as we want our friends to fail. You um, feel that way? I, do, I feel that that's, that is the way it is out here in a big, big, or it used to be. Again, I, I, I'm saying all this not connected. I mean, my career is going, I'm doing amazing now, um, as good as I've been, but I'm not as connected to the machine as I as I used to be having you know again I have a wife I have kids I spend a lot of time not in Los Angeles um and all that conspires to just I'm I'm, not, I'm just not as um dialed in but but I do think that um so, so it's hard for me to, to to adequately you know um be able to assess that um but I do feel like it certainly used to be like people would you you pick up the trades and you'd be like oh, fuck like I, listen I I and I think it's really okay for me to say I was doing I was doing um, Con Air I think Con Air or Gone in sixty seconds one of those Nick Cage movies and Nick at the time was the biggest he he won an Oscar for Leaving Las Vegas he was a twenty million dollar a movie action star so he had it he was he was he was just firing on all cylinders he had the whole 360 right and i was sitting in his trailer his trailer was four times the size of this room like it was a compound his trailer and we're on location and he would be i remember this he was like bemoaning to me why he wasn't tom cruise and i said nick i guarantee somewhere in some similar trailer maybe slightly larger than yours Tom Cruise is sitting there talking to some skinny schlub like me saying, why am I not Tom Hanks? And I guarantee Tom Hanks is sitting somewhere in maybe even a larger trailer than Tom's or Nick's. And he's saying to somebody, why am I not Steven Spielberg? And that it probably ends at Spielberg because I don't think Spielberg is <laughs> Spielberg's not, Spielberg's like, why am I not God? But, but, <laughs> But I think that that is, that is the thing that happens here in, in, in Hollywood. It happens everywhere. It happens here. It's so much easier. We all tend to look at like who's doing better than all the people that we're doing better than. You know what I mean? We should, everybody who is, who is quote unquote successful in Hollywood should just be so happy that you have this incredible job. You get to tell stories. You get to play you know, the, the play act, right? The, the same, imagine the same thing that we were talking about with my daughter and the Barbies. You get to do that and they pay you to do it and you get to do it all over the world and you get to tell these great stories. Um, 
no matter what you no matter where you're at whether you're doing some you know police procedural for CBS or you're doing the George Clooney Julia Roberts movie it's like we everyone should just be happy and not constantly be um be bemoaning all those who have it better or, or are doing better than you but I'm sure envy and jealousy were both good drivers for you early in your career right sometimes it's a good thing like yo that dude's fucking killing it I kind of want to bust my ass so I can get what he has not really it wasn't it wasn't envy wasn't a driver um today these days there's there's a handful of people not a lot um but there's a handful of people that i know genuinely hate me in hollywood um <laughs> the snake pit and that's a real driver for me is like i i like that they have to like read about me or look at the <laughs> jumanji opening weekend and like because i know it pisses them off so yeah to 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 um solely to annoy those who in, who wrongly dislike me, um, that is my current driver. So you, you feed on the negativity. It's very East Coast of you. Yes. Yes. As do I. Yes. Well, we got to wrap it up, brethren. But we start and end these episodes one way. I'm going to explain you how to do it just once. You have to execute. But before we do that, did you have a good time? This was great. This was Thank great. you, man. Absolutely. Soaked up a lot of game. Did you guys? All right, sweet. Luke, you're really in love. That's awesome, man. You're in love with me? His, his girl. Oh, yeah. Okay, so this is how we start and end the show. You say, hi, your name, and this is my golden hour. Directly after no break, hi, your name, and that was my golden hour. What? I told you I was going to say it once, man. Hi. Wait, I gotta, I gotta like hype you up first. Hold on. Three, two, one. Okay, we are in the simulation. Look at the LED screen behind me. But more importantly, we're in the snake pit. And across from me here, we have a snake pit survivor. I consider myself the master snake, but this guy, he's the king cobra. Take it away, brethren. Hi, I'm Scott Rosenberg, and this is my golden hour. Come on, Cobra. Come on, Cobra. This is my golden hour. Then hi, I'm Scott Rosenberg. That was my golden hour. I thought you were going to hype up the second part. Oh, you want me to hype that up no, too? No, no, not at all. I'd love to do it. Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. Enough right. of your hype. All right, snake pit done, done. Hi, this is Scott Rosenberg, and this was my golden hour. That was Scott. It's that was. Hi, I'm Scott Rosenberg, and that was my golden hour. All right, for content, snake pit, snake pit. <laughs> cool. What? Snake pit. It's my little bit. I say Hollywood. Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait. Was that not it? Hey, enter. Just, you forgot to enter.